Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. This country can ever pronounce my name right. It's, it's not that hard. Yeah, well, at least your name isn't Michael Bolton. Conversations about collaboration, episode 18. Author and smart cookie Karen Reed pops by to talk about her new book. We discuss the research behind remote meetings, emotional labor, and surface acting. Don't know what those last two concepts are? Neither did I until she taught me a thing or six. Let's rock and roll. Karen, where does this podcast find you? This podcast finds me just outside outside of uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, so it, it's it's a beautiful day here. It's going to be in the high fifties, uh, which is a far cry from what I typically live through at this time of year in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is where I grew up. You have a new book out on virtual meetings. Tell me a little bit about it and some of the new research on this stuff, because that seems like they're the only meetings we're having these days. Uh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it definitely became the primary way of people getting business done. So I'll give you kind of the origin story of the book itself. So I was working as a subject matter expert uh, for Logitech, which is a big video collaboration uh, purveyor. And uh, I was working alongside of uh, Dr. Joseph Allen, uh, who is the director of the Center for Meeting Effectiveness at the University of Utah. And he was coming at it from a, a meeting scientist perspective. I was coming at it from an on-camera communication uh, perspective. And we were doing a webinar together the first week of March 2020 on what the modern meeting was going to look like. So think about the second week of March 2020 and what happened. And so all of the things that we talked about uh, hypothetically that were going to occur maybe in the next three to five years suddenly happened practically overnight. You know, this this incredible uh, accelerated adoption of video collaboration tools uh, occurred uh, within that month. I mean, just the numbers, as as I'm sure you know, know, Phil, as as, uh, somebody who specializes in this, just went off the charts. And, you know, suddenly everybody was was looking for a way to have an alternative to -to face-to-face interactions, which were no longer possible. So uh, that by and large meant uh, going on Zoom, using Teams, uh, using every sort of platform that was available. And, and it was just crazy to watch all of that occur. So, you know, Joe went off to his world and I went off to my world and we were basically trying to help uh, people navigate this new way of meeting. Uh, and a couple months later, we we reconnected and we realized that we were working on the same problem and thought, you know, it might be kind of fun to collaborate on a book to kind of amplify the message because we were both drinking from the fire hose, trying to help people. My, my business tripled overnight practically. Uh, and, and his just was also uh, you know, coming in in waves as well. So we decided to write a book that was different about virtual meetings. Uh, we wanted it to be science-based uh, and uh, really give people data-based insights that have real world application. Uh, So something that is a practical guide and not theoretical where where people can walk away and say, okay, 
how can we make these better like tomorrow? Uh, so uh, suddenly virtual is coming out uh, soon and we're excited to be able to help as many people as possible, just make these more effective and productive. Uh, and you know, hopefully it'll accomplish that goal. I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, one of my favorite quotes I've discovered in the last couple of months is from uh, Lenin, not John Vladimir. And sometimes things <laughs> happen in decades, sometimes decades happen in weeks. And we saw that yes. adoption of these collaboration tools, as well as with telemedicine. I know e-commerce spiked. Um, I think that's one of the reasons Bitcoin was up, but then of course it's down. Um, so yeah, it's remarkable how it has served as an accelerant trends, you know, working from home. That's not necessarily new, but I think at one point in April of 2020, 60% of knowledge workers were working from home. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like 82% of Americans were told to stay at home at the beginning of the pandemic, which is pretty crazy to think about. And, you know, you mentioned telehealth. I mean, that that was a huge change. And I spent a lot of my early uh, weeks of the pandemic helping physicians to just be able to interact better with their patients across these platforms. I mean, it, so many changes occurred. Uh, across the board um, with different industries just trying to adapt. I think there was a lot of creativity and innovation that happened as a result. But it was funny being in my position. I've been teaching uh, video communication skills for 10 years. And it used to be a matter of just training, you know, maybe the executive leadership team because they would be like the de facto spokespeople who might have to do like an all-hands meeting over video or something like that. And, and it went from training the executive team to training the entire enterprise uh, in a month. <laughs> and so that was a, you know, a very uh, dramatic shift in my business. And, and consequently, I had to do a lot of scaling up and, and figure out ways to meet demand. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned some of the research and writing a book that's less theoretical, more practical uh, without mm -hmm. giving away everything. What are a couple of things that people should do when they're taking virtual meetings that maybe aren't necessarily obvious? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's interesting um, how people tried to just do a one for one in terms of, you know, timing for these meetings. Like, okay, this would be an in person two hour meeting. Of course, it could just be an, an, a Zoom two hour meeting, but that that's not a good choice because the effort that has to go into being in a virtual video collaboration space uh, is different than the one that you have to use whenever you're in person. So for example, whenever we're on virtual video, you have to do a lot more um, brain processing to be able to decode messages. So for example, we're constantly trying to read nonverbals whenever we're, we're talking to people you know, in person as well as on camera, but you have fewer data points whenever you are in a virtual video space. So you, you end up trying to spend more brain power making sense of those uh, nonverbals. And then there's also this whole idea of something called emotional labor. And that's where you are having to put additional effort uh, into even just being in the meeting itself. So one of the most harmful forms of emotional labor is surface acting, where you have to appear like you are engaged and, and perhaps suppressing the fact that you have a child who is, you know, 
on the other side of the camera begging you to please help them with their homework or play with them, whatever it is. And that surface acting is exhausting. So being in a two-hour meeting on Zoom uh, without a break and trying to trudge through too long of an agenda can really be uh, you know, detrimental. So you know, what we've seen is that there's been a realization of this and a shift in what kind of meetings are happening. Typically, they are shorter now. Typically, they're very purpose-driven. So rather than having 10 items on the agenda, maybe they'll have like one or two with a specific goal. And people are recognizing that you don't have to just go with the default time slot that is given to you by whatever your calendar um, application is. You can actually say, I think this is going to take me 15 minutes and have that 15-minute meeting and get stuff done. And then you know, give people time to be able to actually work in between. There's still an issue with people adjusting to giving themselves a little bit of space to task switch between meetings. Um, and, and so it's a process, Phil. And I think that people are, are learning, you know, what works and what does not in this space. That's interesting about the, the 10 items. And it reminds me of Steve Jobs with Apple. I don't know if you read the Walter Isaacson book. I haven't. Oh my gosh. But I should. Now I'm going to have to put it on my list. <laughs> I think 600 pages, but I couldn't put it down. And Jobs would, when he returned to Apple, take the executives away for some weekend retreat and say, okay, make sure you have your top 10 priorities. And then they argue and argue and argue and wind up with their top 10 goes, great. Now we're only going to do three to keep them mm-hmm. focused. And that was one of the reasons yeah. among many that Apple was successful. They weren't trying to do everything. Whereas I can remember Yahoo if I'm not dating myself in the mid 2000s and this famous peanut butter manifesto about how they were spreading themselves too thin because they were doing mail and they were doing news and they were doing uh, portals and all this other stuff. And now Yahoo is a punchline. When I was a college professor, I used to talk about how big Yahoo was and they'd kind of furrow their brows and say, what, how old are you, dude? (laughs) (laughs) I have a Yahoo email, but I think it's, it's just hacked so often. I just use it whenever I have to give an email, but I know I don't need to have a lingering relationship with whomever I was, I'm giving the email to. So that's funny. Well, Uh, the other thing that I've noticed too, Phil, is that, or or rather the, the research is indicating uh, is that people are being more intentional about who is in the room for the meetings. Um, You know, they're, they're, you really have to make it relevant and make sure that the folks who are there um, are there because they are definitely needed. Uh, So I think people are becoming more mindful about how long the meetings need to be, what needs to be accomplished and who needs to be in the room, uh, which is a good thing and actually probably can be applied even for in-person meetings. uh, Once that becomes um, something that is, is more viable. Yeah. You read my mind. I was going to ask based on, this light at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully it's later this year. And I'm of the opinion that the future work will be hybrid. How do you think yes. we will adapt what we're doing now, largely over Zoom or Microsoft Teams or WebEx or whatever, to right. the ILR, IRL future right, in real life? Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, and you you share our opinion as well. We talk about uh, in the book that hybrid does seem to be the way we are heading. Um, you know, it's funny with some of my clients um, are saying, "Oh, you know, it's it's going to go back to normal." I'm like, "That's not going to go back to normal." There's always going to be some component of virtual uh, that will need to be incorporated into the way we get work done, and. 
you know, so that that's going to be something that is going to be a bit challenging for those, especially who are leading uh, those meetings, because you're going to have, you know, some people who are co-located who are in perhaps a conference room that is video enabled, but there are going to be plenty of folks who are still working from home. And the challenge for the leader is to be able to uh, include everybody um, equally. And making sure that everybody's voice is heard. So it requires a lot of strong facilitation and awareness uh, and ensuring that there isn't, for example, an in-person bias where the people who get the most voice opportunities are the ones who are in the same physical room with you. Or um, you know that you have uh, just a bias towards those who are on camera where the people who are just joining from their own personal webcams are the ones who uh, are getting the sole focus. Um, or maybe somebody's calling in, maybe they're having bandwidth problems that day. Uh, and, and they can tend to be, um, you know, ignored because they don't have, um, you know, a physical presence as much as those who are in person or on camera. So it just requires a, a shift in mindset and how you're going to facilitate those meetings uh, and make sure that that everybody has an opportunity to provide input. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think you touched on a number of real issues, not the least of which is, well, so-and-so doesn't try as hard because I don't see it. Right. I mean, I used to take grief when I was a consultant, when I would leave on time or God forbid, a few minutes early. Right. You're not really or take lunch. Oh, my gosh. You're eating pizza and not at your desk hunched over your computer. Um, and I tried to say, well, is that really that relevant? I mean, I got my work done. You know how to reach me if there's an emergency. So maybe this will put an emphasis on the actual work that we're doing and not so and so works hard. She was here until seven. Well, yeah, she was, but she took two smoke breaks for an hour and a half. So Right. Yeah. So, you know, it measure your, your work is measured in your outputs as opposed to the number of hours uh, of FaceTime that you generate. Mm-hmm. I think another issue that you broach is this one of management and leadership, because I could argue that if my job is to write code or design something for a website or write copy, then those are discrete outputs, right? Versus if I'm managing people who do that, how do I make sure that they're supported, particularly when I can't rally the troops as much, even though I might do that once a quarter or once a week. And I've read a couple of articles in Wall Street Journal, they're doing a bit on the um, future of work. And that's one of the the changes they're predicting. Managers in the future will be more coached than taskmaster. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think that that actually makes a lot of sense um, because it's more like they are the maestro, you know, where, you know, they are trying to direct the orchestra so that everybody, you know, is is on the same um, page of music, I guess, uh, and, and that the the output is something that is beautiful. Uh, so, you know, I think that that is actually a really interesting way of looking at it. And, and it's going to be something that uh, will require, I think, quite a bit of of training, uh, you know, helping people to be able to kind of shift into that mindset. And, and, and also, you know, one of the things that I would like to see is leaders really step up and, and, uh, be an example of what good looks like. So, uh, you know, I think about it within the the video uh, communication context. Uh, I do a lot of work helping people to be able to be really effective whenever they're engaging with others on the other side of the, of the camera lens. And that's a matter of, you know, having the proper mindset as you go into it, uh, understanding, you know, the importance of vocal variety whenever you're, you're speaking in a virtual video context, um, as well as, you know, physical factors like uh, appropriate body language and eye contact, but it also is a matter of being aware of your personal production value. And that's really how you show up on webcam. And, you know, why is that important? 
it's not because it's vanity that is driving you. It should be. Uh, I could, I'm incredibly vain. <laughs> well, I mean, we all have a, a level of vanity. Like, I think that that's obvious. But but really, the, the driver should be uh, being respectful of the person on the other side. Because it's a matter of making sure that people can receive your message as easily as possible without distraction. So, for example, uh, I have, you can't see because it's a podcast, but I have light coming on my face uh, in order to ensure that you can easily read my facial expressions. Why is that important? Well, whenever I am delivering a message, uh, you know, tone of voice actually adds to the way it's, it's received. But, you know, my facial expressions are also going to help you to decode the intent of my message. Uh, and, and then also, you know, you want to make sure that you're heard really clearly and, you know, having good audio is, is a critical component, but one that we're probably not aware of because we can't hear ourselves. We can't hear how other people are, um, hearing our audio. So it, what I would suggest, uh, is if you are wondering, hop on a call with somebody who's going to be candid with you, who will say, Hey, your, for example, uh, microphone that you have in bed in your laptop really gives you a pretty tinny uh, sound and, and it's kind of echoey. Uh, and then find an, an audio alternative that's going to make you come across uh, clearly and crisp. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot because I agree with everything you said. I want to know if I'm missing something. Now, I don't have it up, but I got a green screen just in case I want okay. to do something different. I got a okay. ring light. Something tells me you have one too. <laughs> I have this giant LED panel, which it's not giant. It's actually like this big, but it allows me to dial it up and, and down based upon the natural light coming into right. my space. Okay. I can adjust mine too. It's, it's a pretty big ring light, but it's ring light. I, even though we're both Mac people, I don't, and my Mac's about six years old, but even the new Mac M1, which I can't wait to buy when they put it out in 16 inches, doesn't ship with a decent, from what I read, um, webcam. So when okay. you mentioned Logitech, I said, I just threw them a couple hundred dollars when this started. And I think there was a huge backlog for their There was. Yeah. Yeah. So I got that. And then I'd had the Yeti microphone. Uh, and yep. then I use it sometimes didn't. And then when I listened to some of my previous um, interviews with folks four or five years ago, I said, oh, sounds terrible. And then I even yeah. called up for an Alphonics. Um, what do they call these things? Uh, it- it's a pop screen. There so you, you go. Don't, um, pop your piece. Yeah. Right. So it's not like, yeah. Right. So I think I'm covered. Am I missing anything? Uh, I would change your framing a little bit, Phil. Oh, okay. <laughs> People can't see it though, Phil. So I don't know if there's value in it, but actually I will offer this. Uh, if you are wondering if you are properly framed in your virtual video shot, try taking three fingers and stack them on top of your head. And you should have about three fingers of space between the top of your head and the top of the screen. So see, Phil, you've got like maybe like 10 fingers, (laughs) if not more. So what you'd want to do is be able to adjust uh, the angle of your webcam so that you have less space, or you can do what you just did. So Phil just like zoomed in actually. Yeah. So that works as well, but then see how there's not much space below your chin. Like I'd want to see more of your. You're of not your the body. boss of me. I know. <laughs> Don't get me started. Like I, I, I will manipulate all sorts of stuff, and, and people get annoyed when they're when I sound almost like their mother. Like sit up straight. Don't slouch. Okay, let's let's move your furniture. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, it, it's it's funny. Uh, you know, 
small tweaks can make a big difference. Uh, but it does just take a, a, a little bit of a, it's raising awareness, Phil. That's all it is. Good stuff. Um, you're also practicing what you preach because if I understand correctly, you mentioned your co-author before, the two of you never met and yes. you've written a book together. Talk a little bit about that process. We did. Yeah. So, and, and it was funny, Phil, because we didn't even think about it. It was actually his spouse who said, you know, you all are like a, a living example of the ability to really build relationships in a totally virtual world. And that's absolutely right. We we met through the webinar uh, at Logitech. We have maintained our relationship through Zoom the entire time. We we collaborated using Google Docs and and Dropbox and um, you know various other collaboration tools. And all we your continue. high-tech tools. <laughs> hey, I use Trello. I use Slack. We use all that stuff. So, um, and it, it's absolutely true. Uh, and it's it's interesting how close I feel to him. Uh, so Joe, as I call him, rather than Dr. Allen, which sounds so official, uh, he's one of my closest colleagues. And the only thing I don't know about him is how tall he is. <laughs> Because you can't tell height when you're in a, in a virtual video situation. I will just tell you one quick thing. I was working with a client based in Beaverton, Oregon, uh, and I uh, had worked with him for months virtually. And finally, I went on campus uh, and uh, I was picked up at the airport and they said, it's so nice to meet you in person. I said, wait, we haven't met in person. Like I literally forgot that we had not met in person. And the only thing that they said that surprised them was that I was almost six foot tall. And <laughs> because you, you can't, you can't tell, you really can't tell, obviously. So, uh, you know, it's, it's very possible to build lasting relationships and strong relationships virtually. Uh, you just kind of have to get really comfortable using the camera as your conduit. To your conversation partner, but I've been training people solely virtually for years, and it's it's worked quite well. Good stuff. I'll get you out of here on this. What book are you currently reading? <laughs> okay, so I just finished um, "Educated" by Tara Westover, and I'm currently reading "Life After Life" uh, by Kate Atkinson, which is kind of like a period uh, fiction. It's fascinating, but it, it did have a section about uh, the uh, 1918 uh, influenza pandemic. And I thought, oh, this is a little bit too close to home right now. <laughs> Good stuff. Karen, thanks so much for your time. You stay safe. Okay. Thanks, Phil. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard and how can you not, Please download, like, or subscribe. Merci, gracias, obrigado to the producer of this podcast, podcastedition.com. You guys rock. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.